edition of the What of All Eight podcast with myself, Gary, and Ant. How are you, Ant? Yeah, really well, mate. Thanks very much. Yourself? Very well. Uh, very well to see uh, Emma Raducanu winning the uh, US Open, bringing the trophy home to uh, Britain. Fantastic. Obviously, that's what we're going to talk about today, so let's just get straight into it, Ant. Emma Raducanu. Yeah, amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, obviously, we talked about her last week for a little bit, um, because she won my baller of the week, and obviously, spoiler alert, but she's going to win it again this week. Um, but yeah, I think I'd said last week, you know, she's got a great chance of winning it, but I mean, she's not lost a set. She hasn't faced set points. She hasn't looked as if she's going to lose a set, and this is a, a, a qualifier. Um, I just think she's amazing. I really do. You know, the way she conducts herself, you know, the interviews that she has, she's like, she's always, she's this sports person that I think British tennis have needed for a long time. Like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a big Andy Murray fan, but Andy, Andy Murray, personality-wise, you kind of find it hard to to get with him, if you know what I mean by that, you know, because he seems a little bit kind of a, a miserable kind of character. But when, you, when you've looked at Emma um, over these past two weeks, and even at Wimbledon as well, that, that she's just happy to be there just over the moon to be to actually be playing tennis and to to win it was was amazing but uh, there was for me there was no doubt once she beat um shelby rogers like once she beat shelby for me i thought there's no one else gonna win this tournament because the, everyone else was falling by the wayside and to be fair all the other seeds were getting beat off the other finals Lila fernandez and to be fair alayla alayla put a massive, massive fight up, and she was brilliant. I think it might have just been one game too far for her, you know, coming against an eighteen-year-old who hadn't lost a hadn't lost a set, who just breezed through. It was a little bit difficult for Lena, but Lena put a great show on. It was a, ma- a magnificent game of tennis. You know, it would have been lovely for it to go into the third set. You know, uh, you know, it would have been nerve-wracking for us. You know, wanting wanting Emma to win, but it would have been great for the game itself to go into a third set because it, it probably deserved that. But um, fair play to them both. It was a fantastic game, and they're the two names we're going to be talking about for a long time. I think in in uh, female tennis, you know, especially Emma. I mean, so like we said with the the Wimbledon story, you know, she she comes out of Wimbledon, you know, for me with her head held high, no matter what happened in the in the last match. Um, you know, there was all this, all this, you know, palaver in the, in the media and the tabloids about, you know, she, she choked, she did this, she did that. You know, this was an eighteen-year-old who was never expected to be in the second week of Wimbledon. You know, so how the hell that a choke is beyond us. Um, but she's come back from that, you know, to get through qualifying, uh, not lose a set, win the tournament, all with a smile on her face. You know, she's the, she's, you know, the next huge thing coming out of British sport and you know British sports had a great you know f- few weeks because obviously um the uh, UK and Europe won the um Sondheim Cup uh, for one of the first times in America that they, they took it away from the Americans in America so um that was that was great for them so it's been a wonderful like kind of few weeks for for, for British sport obviously with the Olympics as well and, and the Paralympics as well because obviously uh Dame Sarah's story became the most decorated Paralympian of all time so you know great few weeks but topped off with Emma Raducanu, you know, absolutely amazing, and I think we were just discussing off, off, um, off stream there that her life is just going to change forever now. You know, for the for the good as well. You know what I mean? She's shot up in the rankings from three hundred and wherever to twenty ninth. She's now British number one. She's now you know going to be well seeded for nearly every tournament she wants to enter for next year. You know, she's she's a name to watch now, and everyone's going to fear for her. Um, because I don't think there's many things you can do to adapt to her game because it's that powerful. And if and she'll only get more powerful um, as, as her body starts to grow. So it's just, it's, it's absolutely amazing. You know, we're going to be talking about her for years to come. 
I totally agree with you there. I mean, I was just thinking there, obviously, when we went straight into Emma Raducanu there, like, I remember me and you having this conversation uh, back at Wimbledon. Um, I remember me- messaging saying Emma Raducanu, 18-year-old brick doing mint here, and that's quote the, the message I sent you, and you messaged back saying, she's won, ha, 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 class, and I went, aye, she played brilliant, and then you messaged back saying, new star, and you know what, like, yeah, in Wimbledon, she suffered with uh, a physical illness, uh, you know, like she she couldn't breathe, you know, she hadn't breathing difficulties. People got on a case, like you said earlier, that she's choked. Definitely not the case. She's an 18-year-old girl. Coronavirus was very prominent with the cases at that time, as we discussed off camera. Um, and you know what? Like th- that could have been a really serious injury to her. She could have had coronavirus. She could have suffered really badly. And then look at what she's done now. She's came back in the US Open. She didn't even drop a set, and she came no. through qualifying. Yeah, she didn't even look like she was going to drop a set. That made it so, so more, you know, like amazing. Like how, how and, and it wasn't as if she was like, you know, beaten also runs. You know, like Shelby Rogers, for instance. Shelby Rogers put out Ash Barty. You know, Nash Barty is the world number one Wimbledon champion. You know, so Shelby Rogers was, you know, it, again, it might have been a game too, a match too far for Shelby because you could tell she was physically right at the end. But you've still got to beat these these people. You know, you've still got to you've still got to put them away. And the 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 ease of how Emma literally beat everybody, and this is even Leela on on Saturday night, although it was a very good game. You know, Emma was the better tennis player on the night, you know, and and this is like, again, for someone who's never played there before, you know, they were her first, you know, what, seven or eight games she's played, 14 sets, she's played at the US Open and she's won every one. You know, it's just, it's you know, you don't hear stories like that at all. You know, this is a, the first qualifier ever to win a tournament, a uh, Grand Slam, sorry, you know, so it's the first, she's first there, the first, you know, UK winner for you know neck end of 44 years i think i think last one was virginia wade who was in the crowd you know 44 years we've waited for this you know what i mean and and still it still you get that i, I know what you're saying about this you know the choking thing and, and things like that you're still getting this because i read it on social media you still get this kind of thing where everyone's happy for her and people are like going well she's not really british but she is she's got a british passport so she's british you know what i mean it's not as oh she's romanian it's this and that and the other you know like it doesn't matter, you know, like I go back, I go to the Cricket World Cup and we can all remember, you know, everyone going so mad when, when England finally won the Cricket World Cup, you know, a couple of years ago. But the majority of the of the, 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 the England team aren't English born. You know, Ben Stokes, who's probably England's best cricketer, is born is New Zealand. He's born in New Zealand, you know, he's he's came over. You know, uh, Owen Morgan, the captain, is Irish. You know what I mean? So what does it matter? It doesn't matter at all. You know, and people who are putting like trying to put downers on it, for me, don't deserve to kind of bask in the success. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, like we've we've said, and I'll, I'll gladly name it. Piers Morgan on on Saturday night was an absolute joke. You know, he's putting on all oh, well done. Uh, you know, well done, Emma, for the you came back from your choke at Wimbledon, and it's like, why are you even saying things like that? And this is the problem with, I think, with the British media amongst. Amongst the majority of all of the media outlets, the British media are very easy to build you up, but they can just so easy tear you down as well. And I think it's a bit wrong, especially for like, like I say, an eighteen-year-old kid. Um, can you remember back in back in June, Gary, when uh, July, sorry, when Saka missed the, the penalty for England, and you know Saka's you know got Nigerian parents. Saka's you know Saka's not 
although born in Britain, never like that, you know, he's not your you know British family, or not like you know, his mum dad Nigerian, and yeah, there was a lot of stuff on social media about about you know what he got, and it was minging, you know what I mean. But the the British press, the British press, sorry, they got behind him and everything like that, and there wasn't all this kind of thing where he's not English anywhere, you yeah. know what I mean. And and Alan Emmons won it. It's all this stuff like, well, she's not particularly, it's not really, she's English. It doesn't matter, you know. You've you've got a British passport. You represent Great Britain, so it's it's just mad. I don't think any other country does that kind of thing. Like if American won it, and he was say Japanese born or something like that, it'd be like, well, it's not really American. It doesn't it doesn't matter, you know what I mean? But uh, it's uh, it's mental. Nah, no, I totally uh totally agree with that. I mean, it's one of those things like. I I just I just don't understand it. I mean, you you go on about British press there as well. I mean. The British press have had like a reputation of doing this, like you know, building people up, breaking them down, like for years and years and years. I mean, they did it at David Beckham when you know he got sent off for uh, the red card on Simeone, I think. But mm-hmm. you know, you're one hundred percent right there in relation to like the way the press go on, especially someone like Piers Morgan, who you know what, like I quite enjoyed watching him on Good Morning Britain. I thought like he he was a breath of fresh air to morning television. But now he's just shown that he's just an absolute divvy on his Twitter, to be honest. Like, but that's just yeah. my opinion, Piers. He probably's not listening to this, and I don't really care if you're not. To be fair, no, no, he um, probably isn't listening, and we don't particularly want him to. So you know, <laughs> the less said about him, the better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Shall, shall we move on to to Leila and say how great Leila was? Yeah, um, definitely. I you mean, because this this is a tennis player I, I haven't particularly heard heard of, and I, you know, me and you were into our tennis, and I didn't really know that much about her. But I watched a lot of her games, you know, I watched her beat Kerber and wow, you know, what a tennis player she is. And what I really liked about her, yeah, there was a little bit of the, the needle uh, when Emma went down and hurt her knee. And, but Emma didn't ask for the of time out. She has to have one because there was blood. And Leila was a bit, little bit like kind of, you know, I don't think it was, uns- it was like disrespectful or anything like that. I can understand why she was she was having a little moan on because she was in her zone and she's having to come out of her, her zone to get back into it. And that's not her fault, mm. but it also wasn't Emma's. But at the end, when they had, when they both had the um, the press conferences afterwards, when they were getting the trophy presentation, I honestly thought Leila held herself. I mean, she must have been, you know, nineteen year old girl must have been absolutely heartbroken that she hasn't managed to win. And her her like um, her speech she gave was absolutely amazing. Um, you know, and I, I honestly think them two are going to be, along with Coco Goff, are going to be the three that we're going to really be talking about in you know five, six, seven years of tennis. And what it's it's great to see. It's great. It's great. I actually have like two genuine sports people there who weren't you know egos were out the out the window or anything like that. It was just to enjoying each other's each other's company really, and and, and you know basking in how good how good of a game it was. It was really really good. I uh, definitely. I mean, Leila Fernandez. I mean, before the even the semis, we had this discussion, and I remember us talking and thinking it's going to be, uh, Raducanu Fernandez final, which obviously ultimately it wasn't. Raducanu went on to win, but looking at what Leila Fernandez did, I mean, third round knocked out Naomi Osaka, uh, round of sixteen knocked out Angelique Kerber, quarter final. Obviously, you know, I'm quite a big fan of Alina Svitolina Monfils, mm-hmm. um, knocked her out as well. All of those games went to three sets as well. Physically, that would have took a toll on Leila Fernandez. Yeah. She's played the second, the third, and the fifth seed. 
um in in three games in a row basically. Then she went on to play um Sabalenka as well. Sorry, yeah. Kerb is the sixteenth seed. Sabalenka was the semi. That wasn't an easy game. That went to three sets as well. Mm-hmm. Um How but... many of them did she have to come back for losing the first set? I'm fairly confident Kerber won the first set when she when she played Kerber. Yeah, Kerber I'm not, won I the can't first. remember if, if all four of them she had to come back or not. I'm I'm not sure, to be honest. Uh but... Osaka won the first and then she came yeah. back and took the two. And then Kerber won the first and she came back and took the two. Uh, Svitolina, she took the first set. Svitolina came back to take the second. Right. Fernandez took the third, and then Sabalenka, she took the first. Uh, Sabalenka, uh, sorry, Fernandez took the first over Sabalenka. Then Sabalenka took the second. Okay. Fernandez won the third. You know, she's she's played a lot of games there, but you've got to remember as well. Raducanu went through the qualifiers, whereas Leila Fernandez didn't. Um, so like you know, eighteen, nineteen year old respectively. Like they are, like you say, as well as Coco Goss. They are the future of, of tennis. Um, kind of disagree whatsoever with that comment. And I think, you know, that was the final, which should have always been the final. And obviously, granted, that that's what happened. Um, but it's going to be great to see how they get on, you know, at future tournaments. I mean, Raducanu hasn't even played a full year, uh, full year on a tour yet. It's going to be amazing yeah. to see. And I think Fernandez and Raducanu are going to have, like, a great rivalry over the years. Definitely, and I think for you know as as far as Raducanu goes, I mean before Wimbledon, I'm not I'm not going to pretend I knew who she was because I didn't. You know what I mean? The only I remember, um, I think it was the second round. I watched a little bit of a second round, and she got interviewed on Five Live saying that she's really like enjoying herself, but they were in like a hotel bubble, and she really wanted to go and have some enchiladas from the uh, <laughs> from the cafe or something, but she had to be good and stuff like that. And immediately then you're like kind of like she's in, like quite a down-to-earth girl and you know but what what i think oh you know we're talking about you know the mental pressure and i think her coach was on about it yesterday um the mental pressure that she's had to come back from wimbledon i mean that would have hurt wimbledon not not being able to finish the match you know um because i think that's for any tennis player if you can't finish the match it's always a little bit a little bit worse to lose like that because it's an injury or, or whatever you know what i mean so the way she's come back from that i mean this was what three months ago you know, not even that. Maybe like yeah, about three months ago now. Mm. To come back from from that, yeah, she's played a couple of games. I know she got beat off um of Zheng Zhi in in one of one of the games in America that she played in, um, who she actually knocked out in the third round, I think, of the U.S. Open. Um, but to come back from that has got to take for you know an eighteen year old kid has got to take some ball, and so she's obviously got a lot, um, a lot of mental strength, and you know I think. She's got like two A A levels, A plus levels or something, A stars and stuff. So she's obviously a very bright girl with a head on her shoulders, very clever. And she she's very good with the crowd. Like in the in the semi-final when they said, like, it's one more match, what's the pressure gonna be like? She said, Well, I'm a qualifier, so I'm not expected to win anywhere. And that's probably the watch the, the kind of frame of mind of what she went through. Now, like, obviously the big test for her now will be, you know, the next big tournament for her more than likely to be the Australian Auburn. But she's gonna go there now where a year ago she wouldn't have played, but no one knew who she was a year ago. Whereas now she'll be the one that everybody wants to beat. You know, she'll be like a lot of a lot of like obviously there's there's Barty who's gonna be at the home uh, you know, the home um a home court and everything like that. And obviously there's Serena if Serena goes, you know, the top ten, you know, the likes of Halep and Naomi Osaka if she plays, who everyone will wanna beat, but Emma's name will be very high in that list of people who they wanna beat. So she'll not go in now as the underdog as much. 
she'll go in as kind of the favourite, uh, which will be new for her, you know, and, and there'll be a, a certain level of expectation uh, for her now, but for, for all the media, for herself, she'll probably put a lot more uh, expectation on herself to get f- further in tournaments and stuff. Mind you, I think she can do it. It's But there's a lot of kind of um, behind-the-scenes work that she'll need to bring in the right people for that, you know, obviously the coaching, st- I don't think a coach is going to be a coach for that much longer. I think there was a bit of a stopgap. So she needs to get, you know, the best coaches in, the best fitness people in, the best social media experts for her PAs, legals, everything like that. And her life will change. It will be for the better, you know, she's going to make a hell of a lot of money, you know, and she deserves that. A lot of sponsorship deals, you know, I mean, because that's not, you know, not getting into, you know, but, she, you know, she's got, you know, she's a pretty girl, you know, she's got a lovely smile infectious smile that, that gets everyone you know gets every, you can captivate you get captivated with that you know so there'll be a lot of advertisers who want to want a piece of Emma Raducanu so they'll be throwing money left right and centre at her so I think she's got to be careful of you know keep keep a, try and try and keep as much of a normal life as she can because obviously that's worked for her um, but it might not be as, as possible as it was say three months ago before Wimbledon but I think she'll thrive on it anyway she doesn't seem as if anything phases her so I think she'll be I think she'll be absolutely fine uh, she'll have a lot of sponsorship with like Tiger Hublot Nike uh, just to obviously name a few there like but you know she won 1.8 million just from the US Open she is going to yeah. have a fantastic career as is Leila Fernandez. Um, and you know I can't wait to obviously see those in future years because like like we've said many a times me and you do follow the tennis um, which is great but what we'll do is um, you know the women's side of the tournament was absolutely fantastic but so was the men's and obviously we've got to congratulate Daniil Medvedev as well for, for beating Novak in the final in the US Open uh, how did you feel Daniil got on? Oh he was fantastic I mean he was probably the winner of that tournament when he knocked Dan Evans out um, I don't know if you watched the guy, but he absolutely dismantled Evans. And Evans is a good tennis player. You know, I was never expecting Evans to win that game, but I didn't think it would be that easy for Medvedev. And he hadn't lost a set um, before that. And I don't think he, I don't think he lost many in all time, but he hadn't lost one beforehand anyway. Yeah. But he looked as if he had loads more legs, uh, uh, loads more, you know, legs in the tank, so to speak, loads more gas. And Novak, for me, watching him over the tournament, Novak looked tired. You know, he was still, you know, still absolutely amazing for him again in the final. But you know, a couple of, uh, I think it was a set down in, in either his first or his second game, and he looked a bit jaded. I think he's had a well, obviously he's had a long year. He's won everything, bar the US Open, but and the Olympics. But um, he has looked as if he needed the rest, and I think Medvedev just looked that he looked. I mean, he's younger than him. He looked a more naturally fit out of the two of them and you know what the game was good but Medvedev pretty much coasted you know he, he didn't really like he, he brought he didn't particularly break sweat to be honest to, to win he, he won very very convincingly there'll not be many people who beat Novak as convincing in a final that's for sure um, but you know listen I'm not going to take anything away from what a year Djokovic has had you know he's been absolutely amazing he's got to the finals of of everything really you know he, he was looking in the Olympics because he played Sverev and Sverev was inspired um, but like I said, I just think tiredness has got to him in the in the final. Could up against you know, a very naturally fit, naturally strong player. Um, it was it was always going to be you know it was always going to be hard. I think for Novak to to win that one. I think he probably needed to win the first set, and you know obviously once Medvedev won that, I think it was game over. But yeah, again, you know we've just talked about the the, the lady side of things. 
you know, you're looking there, probably the future of the men's side you got because he's a he's a great talent. You know, uh, I think he's more suited to the harder courts. Do you think his game is better for the harder courts? But I really like the lads. You know, I, I remember a couple of years ago going me and you had a little um a little bet in me and I took Medvedev to get quite far and he only got the third round. Uh, but he, he looked a great player then. Um and he's yeah, he's he's definitely um one to look out for. I think he'll win a lot more slams, but obviously not as many as as Novak will, you know, but he was it was great. But it's nice to see now, I mean, obviously Dominic Team did it last year, but it was a COVID kind of um, Grand Slam, really. But it's nice to see that kind of um, the 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 mould broken, you know, in like, it's not Novak winning, it's not Roger winning, it's not Nadal winning, it's someone else. And that's that it can only be good for the game of tennis because one day these three won't be here and they do need people to take up the mantle. So yeah. um, you know, it was that was great for him. He, he's had a great tournament. He's done so well. Yeah, and, and congratulations to him. You know. It was nice to see two new winners. Nice to see two winners who looked who looked up and probably I know it's easy enough to say the best players won because obviously the best players in the tournament do normally tend to win, but it was nice that Medvedev looked the standout player from the men's from a, from an early stage, and the same with them for the ladies who looked the standout player. And both of them, uh, both of them players have gone on to win, so it's very very nice to see, very refreshing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Medvedev. I mean, you say against Dan Evans, he absolutely dismantled them, which to be fair, he did. Um, I mean, even. In the semis against Felix Alga Elasimi, I don't know if I say that right, but I think he's going to be an absolutely cracking player. And he's I think only it's Ali Asim, I think, man. Ali Asim, is that? Yeah. It? I think he's going to be an absolute cracking player. But even so, you know, like he, he kind of in ways dismantled him as well. I mean, he beat him obviously in straight sets, didn't he? So Alasimi put up a good fight in the second set, but the third set kind of fell. Felt the pieces, then obviously went on to Djokovic, 6-4, 6-4, 6-4. Uh, brilliant showing, to be quite honest. Um, and, you know, like, you know, he's played in tournaments um, throughout this year. Obviously, you know, played Cincinnati Masters, Canadian Open, Mallorca Open, Wimbledon. Um, granted, he, he, he got knocked out in the round of 16 in Wimbledon. I mean, I had him on for a pick to win it. Obviously, that didn't mm. happen. But, like, he's 25 years old. His future is definitely... Uh, he's definitely the you know the future of the of the the game once like Novak retires and you know Rafa, um. But you know I thought it was I thought it was brilliant personally, absolutely brilliant. But yeah. you know Novak, I remember Novak saying that it was kind of a relief for him not to win in ways because he he was quite simply tired. You know he's done so much this year. He is one of the best players to ever live. Um, he's he's just fantastic talent in my honest opinion. Yeah, oh, he's the best for me. You know, he, he is, and this is hard to say because obviously yeah. Roger Federer is amazing, uh, Rafa Nadal is amazing. Yeah. But how consistent Novak has been over a long period of time now? You know, this is probably going back seven years now. Of it's always Novak has always been there or thereabouts, and I I just think he, he's still kind of surprises you, you know, because I mean, I didn't really think he would he would win it this year. Um, you know, I thought it would have been a younger person because I think it was just too much, too much for him after a long, long year. And he's played pretty much every tournament. You know, he hasn't really had a rest this year. And it'd be nice to see him get a little bit. Obviously, they've got the end of season uh, championships, the um, lately paid championships, whatever they call it. Um, so... It would be nice for him to, you know, have a little rest, come back and try it again because I do think he can do it, and I, I still, I would still like to see him break the twenty, you know, to have him uh, on his own because as much like I said, I mean, I think Roger's been amazing. I think 
Rafa's been absolutely superb, but for me, just Novak, because he can do it on every surface, I just think he's absolute. I think he's the best ever. But um, maybe I will have that conversation for another time. But yeah, I mean, you know, like I say, two great finals, a great US Open. You know, really, really, you know, it was full of again a little bit like Wimbledon, full of shocks. You know, um, I mean, from the from the get go, you know, there was there was seeds you know, going out left, right, and centre. Really nice to see um, two Brits getting to the second week. Um, which which isn't which you know I know like it's not it's not kind of something to celebrate too much because obviously you know we should be getting further and further and deeper and deeper tournaments but um, Dan Evans did so well in his you know Dan Evans had COVID and missed the Olympics and it was very very poorly um, and didn't have much time to you know to to get into the US Open and um, he played some hard games you know the guy he played first was like an American prodigy and he, I think he took the first set uh, sorry he took the second set and Dan looked very very frustrated and it looked as if it was only going one way but Dan found a way then he won in straight played very very well and then and he come, came from two sets down to beat, beat an Australian guy in the third round um, and it was he was absolutely fantastic um, so yeah Medvedev it was a step too far and he's admitted that you know he, he got beat of a better player um, but great to see him getting into the second week, and obviously we you know we've we've spoke about Emma, but great to see him. You know, great to see Ear Brit win the but a couple getting you know deeper into tournaments, which was nice. But it was it was like I say, a great US US Open. Great to have the fans back again. You know, we keep on saying it. You know, two new winners, two new names on Grand Slams, a British winner. You know, what more do you want? Oh, 100%. And uh, obviously, congratulations to Daniel and uh, Emma for their victories. Uh, what we'll do, Ant, is we'll we'll move on now to match day 4.38 on the, the Premier League side of things. Um, we'll start with Crystal Palace Tottenham. What did you make mm. of that game? Um, very, very much, of it, I would say, a game of two halves, really. I thought Spurs were terrible, to be honest, and... I actually think Spurs, although they were excellent against Man City, Spurs were probably in a false position being in a, at the top of the table because they they haven't they weren't they haven't been very convincing. You know, Wolves probably should have got something from them, and the Wolves couldn't score. But um, Palace, yeah, I mean, it, it all changed on that on that red card, and I think it was probably a just about deserved. I think obviously the 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 fight that they had beforehand, both probably should have seen red. I think you know because obviously the the. Pardon me, the first tackle by Tantanga is not nice. Um, you know, it's more, it's, it's a, it, that would have been a red card in a rugby field, then mind a football field. <laughs> and then uh, Zaha goes up, Zaha does do the head. So, you know, he does put his head in. So I wouldn't have been surprised if the ball got sent off. But then Tottenham, just after that, Tottenham just capitulated, which I know they lost Dyer early on with injury. And then obviously they've lost um, Tantanga. So both the centre halves were, were, um, were off the field. But after then, I mean, what a story for Edouard, isn't it? You know, he's he's been he's been in British football five minutes and scored two goals. <laughs> you kind of go you kind of go wrong there, can you? Both nice finishes as well. So good for Palace. Good to see Vieira get off the mark. Um, I actually am. I actually have been quite impressed by Palace so far. I know that that was the first win of the season, but it looks as if he's putting his stamp on them now, and he's got himself a striker who has hit the ground running. We said, we mentioned this in the transfer window pod, didn't we? You know, he was important that he hit the ground running and he's got two goals already. So his confidence will be sky high. So great to see for, for um, Vieira. You know, I really hope he does well at Palace. I still think they'll have a, a bit of a season. I think they'll have a struggle, but I, I, mean, I don't think they'll go down. But I think they'll have a little bit of a struggle. You know, the first year gets 
get your first year out of the way. Um, I heard Mark Warburton, actually, the QBR manager, go on about he used to work in investment banking. He used to be a banker before he was a footballer. And when he first went in to his job, the one of like the heads that like, kind of partnered with the bank said, you know, learn everything in your first year and put your stamp on it second and third year, which doesn't happen in football because it's so much of a results-driven business. But it's actually quite a wise, it's wise words, isn't it? Because you can't really put your stamp on things within two weeks. You know, that's impossible. So, you know, hopefully over the season, he gets to, you know, play his brand of football. Keeping Zaha fit is absolutely paramount because Zaha was excellent. Um, he gave, you know, Pua Royale, um, uh, as an Emerson Royale, isn't it? He gave him uh, a torrid time. And nice to see Ed- Edward score two goals. So, yeah, like I say, onwards and upwards for them, I think. You know, um, very good. I mean, if I was if I was um, Nuno, I'd be worried about Harry Kane because Harry Kane barely touched the ball. So, I don't know if the, the England exploits have taken out Harry Kane. You've got to remember Harry Kane hasn't had a pre-season. So, uh, he's still working his way back to fitness. So, does he take Harry Kane out? Of the of the starting lineup against Rennes, I mean, I hope not because he's in my dream team. But um, I think he might do. I think he might give um, give someone else a go just to give him a little bit of a rest uh, because he looked very, very he, looked, he was very quiet. I think he missed his his mate Son in the uh, in the side there because he, he he wasn't he didn't get much service at all. I know. I mean, I think you just said there one hundred percent agree. I mean, um, Chris Palace did brilliantly. To be fair, three nil. Um, I did say I thought they would struggle. Um, this season, maybe, maybe, maybe go down. Maybe well, they will be in a relegation fight. But you know, they played brilliantly, and as you've just said, there, Tandanga having I don't know what he was doing. In all honesty, like I mean, didn't he get his red card within like five, five, ten minutes? It was two minutes later, yeah. Which, which later. was it? Was a yellow card? You kind of complain about that. It was, you know, it's one of them ones now that it's a yellow card straight away. You know, ten, eleven year ago, it probably probably wasn't even a yellow card but it's one of them ones but it's just his um, follow throughs caught the player and uh, yeah I mean it, it was just yeah, it was obviously a young lad rush up under the head you know he's just been in you know he's just been in a you know a, an argument or you know a, a confrontation and the next tackle he wants he's wanting to make that tackle a booming tackle get his side back in the game and it hasn't worked you know um, which is to be honest to the lad he's been excellent so far so you know yeah. we'll not write him off just yet but yeah Definitely, you'll have better days in the office, I think. Yes, and uh, you mentioned Emerson Royale there. From what I saw of him, he didn't look a great, great player. Um, obviously, no, it's one game. No, it is one game. I mean, it's a hard debut against yeah. Zaha because Zaha is one of the most underrated players in the Premier League. You know, he he will not stop for ninety minutes. He's very quick, very direct, very skillful, can score goals. So it would have been, you know, again, he'll probably have easier oppositions, but it wasn't a great start. But again, not one to write off too soon, but um, yeah. certainly something to work on, I think. I thought it was quite amusing, though, when he got turned by Zaha, and Zaha obviously is a rapid player and just got away from him. I don't know if you saw this in the replays, but when he got away from him, uh, Emerson Royale went down holding his face rather than chasing him. Yeah, yeah, something that probably, you know, he needs to, to have a think about really and stamp that out because he's, he'll not get that stuff, you know, it's completely different, it's a completely different get the fish. I mean, we saw a few debuts this week, you know, some more, you know, obviously Edwards, probably some more, you know, successful than others. And I think Emerson Royals was probably at the at the bottom of the list, to be totally honest with yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we'll we'll move on to the next game on the Saturday, uh, which was Watford Wolves two nil. I mean, probably not much to write home about there. To be fair, what what are you making of Wolves so far? Obviously, Nuno less, and now they've got a new coach and Bruno Large. Yeah, um, 
it was probably important that the 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 got the win. Um, they, they did win, didn't they? What two? Yeah, they won two now. Uh, it was probably time. important that they got the win. I was gonna, I was gonna be, I was gonna be really embarrassed. I was thinking, that I'm sure they saw them win. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. Yeah, like I say, it was really. I think it was so important because they haven't played badly, Wolves. You know, I've watched them a couple of times. Like I say, that the, against Manchester United, they should have got something and they didn't. Uh, probably tapping to here kept kept my eye in the game, and you know, it was important for them to score. I think because Anne scored, and obviously the first goal was an own goal, um, which is a little bit unlucky. But they managed to get one, and they managed to get one from an open from a you know a Wolves player in there. Again, I think it was I think it was just a tap in or something. But yeah, they'll take it. You know, it, it's so it's so you know it, it is. It's important for them to get off the mark. Um, you know they're off the mark now. Um, I know, obviously, um, sacked, I think probably sacked Johnny and myself were quite low on Wolves' chances this year, and, and and it is just goal scoring. I think they'll struggle to score. Um, with with it, I think it all goes back to losing Johnny, you know, and um, even though, even though that the. You know, the the kind of didn't didn't use Jotter as a centre striker, um, because obviously Jimenez was that, but Jimenez is gonna take a while to get back from injury, you know. He's still still you know, again we've just talked about Harry Kane who hasn't had pre-season, you know. Jimenez missed, you know, best part of eight, nine months with, you know, a very, very serious head injury. So it'll take him a while to get going, but now that they're off and running, I think they should they should probably pick up some wins now. Um, but it's nice it's important it was important for them, you know, to get off the mark and yeah, I think he's doing like I said. I think he's doing all right without without getting the rewards really. But um, yeah, I guess, like I say, yeah, they're, they're off and running now, so we'll see how how they can how further on they can get. Yeah, personally, I think they've looked okay to be fair. But like it's, it's like you've just said there, they're lacking a goal scorer. Jimenez isn't really one hundred percent fit. Fabio Silva hasn't really done much. No, he hasn't. Has but he's eighteen years old, nineteen years old, I think. But like you know, his time will come. His time will come. But um, Brentford Brighton next game one nil Brighton. I mean this game was pretty drab in all honesty. The Andrew Trossard getting a goal in the ninetieth minute. Mm-hmm. What did you make of Brentford Brentford Brighton? I mean personally for me, I I think Brentford looked quite a good team. But I do think you know I do think the the one struggle against relegation. But I think they will run out of steam towards the back end of the season. Mm-hmm. I mean to be fair, it probably saw it would have been goal of the season if Tony's had gone in. Um, when he hit it from forty five yards and only just went over the bar. Yeah. Um, but you know, listen. I mean, Brentford. I, I think Brentford will be fine. You know. Um, I think that again, it, it's it's going to go down to how many goals they can score. If they can get Tony, Tony I don't think Tony scored yet, but if they can get Tony firing, they, they'll be fine. But for me, Brighton have been so far have been one of the best teams I've seen. They've been so good. I mean, they're, they're so steady at the back, even though they've lost Ben White. Now, can you remember when um, Everton signed? Um, the centre half is God last night. What does Dallas Michael Keane? Michael Keane, right? Yeah. When when they said Michael Keane, everyone said you signed the wrong centre half. You should have got Tukowski. I think Arsenal have signed the wrong centre half. They should have went for Lewis Dunk. Cause I mean he is amazing. You know he scores goals. He he's such a good defender. Um, you know they they they're gonna have a good season. I think you know Brighton. I think um, the Potter, the guy who they got the coach. Is a very, very, very underrated coach, you know, and I hope that um, I hope that his next job, if he does well at Brighton, is is a good, like a good chance to get a top, maybe not not so much a top four, but a good standard of a job because we, we kind of need a and, and the next British coach to come out of the pack, don't we? Because we had obviously Eddie Howe who was at Bournemouth, but he hasn't got a job since then. 
But this guy's doing really, really well at Brighton. He's kept them up, you know, last season and they started to play some nice football. I mean, the goal of squad was a lovely goal. Uh, Trossard's very nice finish, lovely curling goal, you know, in the last minute. And yeah, they're um they're on a, a bit of a run at the end, the fourth in the table. I mean, I know there's only been four games, but you know, there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of quality below them and you know, they're they're doing really, really well, you know, fair, fair play to them. Yeah, no, I mean, I think Potter was actually a potential link to the Arsenal job if things go south for Arteta, mm. and you know what, like, I think you'd be a good fit for it, in all honesty. Plays the right uh, football for them, plays uh, exactly the right football. I mean, they are down to sixth now, because I've just looked at the league table, obviously, with Everton winning um, on last night, and Liverpool winning on Saturday night, uh, Sunday, sorry. So they've gone down to sixth, but that's still a great start, three wins out of four. Oh, you know, you, you're not going to ask for any you're not going to ask for uh, for any for much more there and um, yeah it's like I say they, they, they really are I, I am very very impressed with them nice. um, same I mean we, we mentioned Trossard's goal there and yes it was a good goal but the build up work from Alexis McAllister was, was fantastic as well and yeah like, He's a good player. Granted, he doesn't start every week, but to me, he is a very good player. Like, and you know, he could feature prominently for Brighton going forward. Um, but you know, Brentford, in my honest opinion, they have a good team. They'll they'll, they'll be all right. They will be okay. You know, they've got Embuemo and they've got Tony as well as obviously, you know, a lot of other good players who you know the the battle hard. I don't think I see them having a problem this season. Yep. They might need just to bring in a little bit of Premiership experience in January, just to see them over the line, if you know what I mean by that. Like, you know, a battle-hardened yeah. Premier League defender or something like that. It might it might be worth them, you know, making, making that. I know that's not the Brentford model or anything like that, but it might just need, in January, because obviously in Christmas you play a lot of games, you, get, you pick up injuries, you pick up suspensions, and, you know, the squad depth might not be as good as what, as as what others would be in their situation, so it might be worth them, you know, maybe dipping into the market a little bit. But yeah, like, I'm not overly worried about them. Um, you know, I, I do think they play the right stuff. So um, there's a lot more teams I am. I'm sure we'll come on. There's a lot more teams I would be worried about if I was a fan of them over Brentford. Yeah, I have a feeling the next team I'm going to mention is probably one of those teams. Um, Arsenal Lorich obviously finished one 0 Arsenal's first yeah. win of the season. You know they got the first goal of the season as well, a clean sheet for Aaron Ramsdale making his debut in goal. Um, I mean, what what did you make of Arsenal? I mean, they, they were pretty dominant over Norwich, to be fair. But you know they've got to put chances away. They can't just rely on one nils to get them points. They were dominant, yeah, but they weren't spectacular. You know, you you, you kind of what you wanted for that game, and it was quite. It was a perfect chance for them to do it was uh, you know they were, they were home to the Emirates you know they've got these players back from Covid I think Lacazette's the last one who's still like a little bit you know behind but you know they had Aubameyang there obviously Saka was playing Pepe all, all the big names were there and they only won 1-0 and it was a scrappy goal as well it wasn't like a well-made goal or anything like that and it was quite a, a, poten- a contentious one although I feel the officials got it absolutely bang on it was a contentious one. Um, there was a lot of well, a lot of poor finishing. I thought from the Arsenal, uh, from the Arsenal, especially uh, Bamiyang. I know Bamiyang scored, but he had a couple of one-on-ones where he should have done a lot better. Um, Krill had a great game for for, for Norwich, um, but yeah, Norwich. I, 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 I'm honestly, to be honest, I don't think Norwich will get get fifteen points. You know, I just don't see it. You know, the the they don't play Cantwell, and I don't know if 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 Cantwell doesn't 
fit this system that Farker's doing this year or not, but I think he's their best player. And he's not getting like, he's not getting starts. He, he come off the bench and he did all right when he came on. He looked quite good, you know, attacking wise, but you know, the the whole like the Pookie surprise, everyone knows how to play Pookie now in the Premier League. You know, it's a completely different level from the championship. It's like it's like uh, Mitrovic. Uh, Mitrovic is a good, good championship striker, probably too good for the championship, but not good enough for the Premier League, if you know what I mean. There's that middle ground. Um, and I think Pookie, you can put Pookie in that category. Um, plus now Pookie's a couple of uh, Pookie. Pookie's a couple of years older now from what he was when Norwich were last in the Premier League, and they also went down. So uh, I just can't, I just cannot see them surviving. I, I love Daniel Farber, and I'd love to be proved wrong, but you know I just think they'll be yo-yoing for for a long time, to be honest, because I think again they're probably one of these teams who were very, very good in the championship and would dominate the championship. But in the Premier League, it's a, you need a, you need to spend a lot of money, and what they do there, they kind of get their money by selling the best players, and they end up not having they end up having a squad not good enough. Their squad last year was probably better than what it is this year, and and you, you can't do that when you've been promoted into the you know one of the best one of the best leagues in the world. Ah, with the loss of Dia to Villa, didn't it? I mean, that mm-hmm. was that yeah. was a blow. But like you say, there, Todd Cantwell. For me, I'm totally in agreement with you. He's he's their best player alongside Max Ahrens. I think Max Ahrens is a good player. I do think that they have some good players, but I really think when they're doing their transfers in the summer, they need to look at players who are going to be like, "Whoa, this person is going to improve our team." I mean. They've signed Milot Rashica, and I know Milot Rashica from the Bundesliga, um, and he's a rapid player, but he's soft, and I think he'll get knocked off the ball a lot. I mean, I don't think he's started yet, but when he comes in, you know, he could be a half-decent talent for them, but a couple of talents isn't going to keep them up at the end of the day. Tozolis, he, the, you know, apparently he's quite a good player, from, but from what I saw of him, you know, he was just physically outclassed. Um, but you know they're, they're quite high on Kieran Dowell he was uh, a product of I think Ipswich who notably have a very good academy system and he had an okay game but ultimately just uh, Arsenal was just too much for them I mean Tommy Asu for Arsenal I thought he had a good debut to be honest and you know we talked about Nicholas Pepe a couple of weeks ago and I thought Nicholas Pepe was probably one of the best players on the pitch for them Um, Odegaard he linked up well with Bamiyang. I just feel sorry for Neil Smith Rowe because when he came on, he was fantastic as well. Yeah, I, to be honest, I thought Odegaard did all right. Um, you know, a lot of the play was going through him, but it's like what we've said three or four times now. Um, you know, we did it with Ahmed when Ahmed was on, and in our transfer window deadline, and we did the Premier League roundup, didn't we? But I just don't understand the signing with. With the male Smith Rowe being the number ten, getting a new contract, and then signing someone in his position, I will play Smith Rowe every week. You know, because I think he's that good. I think he's good enough. You know, he's one of the, one of the next good. I think one of the next um, of the Arsenal, you know, um, youth players to come to come up. You know, and I think he's I think he's excellent. So I don't understand that that transfer at all. Even though I did think Odegaard was was good on Saturday, you know, listen, for Arteta, it's, it's huge, it's huge, I mean, it doesn't matter if they've won 1-0, 5-0, 6-0, they've managed to, they've managed to get this monkey off the back, yeah, they weren't brilliant, but see, see where this takes them now, confidence is key, and, you know, as much as I said, he, his finishing wasn't the best on Saturday, they've still got one of the best, like, natural goal scorers in the world, in Aubameyang, so, yeah. they'll, they'll not go down, but, I don't think they'll get in the top, I think they'll just be, you know, another season of, um, also running, I think. Um, but they've got no Europe to worry about, so I suppose they can keep everybody fit. Yeah. So a question for you, just a quick one. If there was a draw or a defeat in Norwich at the weekend, 
do you think Arteta still would have been the job now? If they'd lost, definitely, yes. Yeah, I don't think he could have survived a loss. A draw, I think they might have been a little bit more patient. But, um, I mean, I wouldn't have blamed them for sacking him after the City game, although they were slightly unfortunate with, you know, they were on top and then City scored and then, obviously, you know, Xhaka being an idiot. Um, so it didn't particularly help that. But, um, you know, losing, you know, a huge, you know, 5 nil or whatever it was, and it was... Yeah, it wasn't great, and they the looked. I think the Arsenal players looked absolutely on the floor, so I w- it wouldn't have shocked us too if he got sacked. But had he had he lost to Norwich, I think that definitely would have been his name would have been on the uh, yellow ticket on Sky Sports News on the following day. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know what? I would probably maybe said he had mo- maybe one more game, and if that mm-hmm. didn't go, if that went south, I think maybe he would have got sacked. But you know, fair play, they've got the first win. You know, like. See, see what happens. I mean, I do think there'll be mid-table obscurity for, for the rest of the season, but that's just my opinion. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, they've got Burnley next to well away. So, I mean, that's another one where you, you, you think that's must-win for them, don't you? You know, Burnley haven't started well at all. Nah. So, you, you think that's another one where they can go there, probably, you know, dominate. They'll definitely dominate possession-wise because Burnley will let them. Um, so, where Dice likes to do it. And... Again, you've got to be looking at that one. They've got to win more. They've got to start to like convincingly beat teams like that, you know. Because Burnley are going to be down there, you know. They're going to be, um, they're going to be near the bottom, I think. So um, that's another one where they've got to go and and put a stamp on this season. You know what I mean? They've got to start. Yeah. They'll look to make the mark now. Yeah. Now that they've got this uh, monkey off the backs with beating Norwich. Cool. Um, we'll we'll move on to obviously. The, the most showcased game of the, the weekend. Uh, the return of Ronaldo, Man United 4-1 against Newcastle. Um, what, what did you make of you know Ronaldo's return, the win? How did Newcastle play? I mean, what can we say about Ronaldo? I mean, I mean, I mean I'm so glad because everything was built up, wasn't it? And I, I said to my dad, I, mean, I was going through the Sunday game, and I said to my dad, I went, it would be funny if, the, if he was on the bench. Um, but you know, I mean, I'm sure Ollie would have would have been, you know, he would have been a little bit like kind of should we put him straight in with him, you know, not maybe not having that much of a preseason, but I think he did do relatively well in preseason for Juventus. So plus, I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo's not like any normal 36 year old. I mean, obviously Gary were 35, and I don't, I, I mean, I, for for once, for one thing, I couldn't last 10 seconds in the Premier League. Never mind, you know, 90 minutes. He's not a normal 36 year old. He's so fit. He's so, you know, active. I mean, muscle. I mean, he's probably a better athlete than what he was when he left Man United. And that's 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 sentiment of Ronaldo for keeping him keeping himself fit, keeping his body right, doing the right things off the pitch. Um, and the results come on the pitch. I mean, he's both of his goals. Yeah, we can we can talk about. Newcastle's goalkeeper Freddie Woodman, a young young goalkeeper. He's had a bit of a mare for the first one. Let the second one's gone through his legs, you know. So they're probably not the the the, the two best goals Ronaldo will ever score. But um, he's often running, and you could just see the confidence. And, and obviously Newcastle equalised to Mankio, which to be honest was a nice goal. Um, but as soon as Ronaldo put that second one in, you saw the confidence lift. You saw them trying things that they hadn't been trying before. You know, Bruno Fernandes scoring a beautiful goal. Jesse Lingard scoring, and that was probably their best goal. It was a lovely team goal. That it was a beautiful bit of bit of work and skill and and stuff like that. And um, I still think they need another centre midfielder or give Van Beek a go because Fred for me doesn't fill me with any confidence at all. Yeah. Um, so I still think they need something in that middle of midfield, but. 
you know, they're going to be there or thereabouts this season. It's important. I still think it's important for for Ollie to win something now because this is his team now. You know, they've they've got Ronaldo back. Obviously, Ronaldo hasn't missed a beat. You know, he's he's still he's still um, one of the best players in the world. So um, yeah, but I mean, great for him, great for Ronaldo. Not so great for Newcastle. I think Newcastle struggled. Um, like I said, they did equalise, but the, some of the defending at times was was really poor. Um, and again, not wanting to rub salt in the wounds, but we were talking about uh, Brentford before. And I said that there's three or four teams I'm more worried about, and they are one of them. You know, I, I really cannot, unless unless Callum Wilson stays fit, I think they might. And I said this in our uh, in our season predictions. I did predict them to go down, and part of that was yeah, because I'm a Sunderland fan. I want to say Newcastle all the time, but it is a little bit kind of um, educate you know an educated guess really because I do think they'll struggle because they don't score. Bar Wilson, they don't score enough goals. You know, Joel Linton's not going to do it. Um, Almiron, as much as he runs and he's quick, he doesn't score many goals. Sam Aksaman, again, as much as he's quick and he runs and all, doesn't score enough goals for me. You know, they rely heavily on Callum Wilson and he wasn't there on on Saturday. He was injured and if he's out for a long period of time, then that'll, that'll be a big struggle for Newcastle. And they've also got, you know, they've got a young lad in goal, Freddie Woodman, who I don't particularly think is ready for the Premier League yet. I think he's a good goalkeeper, mind. Um, I don't think up to this point he's put a foot wrong, but he was at fault for probably two of the goals. Um, and if you were a big critic, you'd probably say, could you have got a bit close to the third one? You know, if you were a big critic, because it was that far out. Um, and it wasn't as if it was right in the corner. You know, so, um, you know, a lot of people are very quick to jump on Jordan Pickford when he gets beaten like that. So, you know, I think it's only fair that you you jump on other goalkeepers. But um, they're also missing, you know, Dubravka, who who's a very good goalkeeper. You know, one of the best in the Premier League. Saves Newcastle a lot of points. And Carl Darlow, who did so well last year, they were thinking about him going uh, playing for England, and he's had really bad COVID. So, um, yeah, I mean, I do I do fear for them. They're, they're about this transfer, you know, defending themselves in the transfer window, saying that they can't afford to buy this, that and the other. You know, they're all, they're, they're all just hoping that this takeover happens. And whatever, I mean, I don't think personally, I don't think it'll go through, but... I mean, for the good of Newcastle, it probably needs to happen, but something needs to happen, if you know what I mean. I mean, they could go they could go tomorrow and sack Steve Bruce and bring someone else, but who's, A, who's going to want the job? And B, who's going to do any better with what they've got? I, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know if if they, if they do make that change, you know, and, and see Eddie Howe comes in or someone like Eddie Howe, what really can they change? Because they've still they got a good side. There is a good side there, but the, the, the good players, the better players, like the St. Maximum and Callum Wilson, find it hard to keep fit. You know, the the they seem to pick up injuries. Obviously the maximum being quick is gonna pick up hamstring injuries. Wilson's had a had a, a knee injury, you know, a really bad knee injury. So um and he's he, I think he's got issues with his hamstrings as well. So um yeah, I am I am worried for them, you know, and, and as much as, you know, we you know obviously being some fans might say, ah, you you, you know, you got down the centre of the you want to see Newcastle in the Premier League because they're a huge club, you know, they're a sleeping giant and you want to see you know the fans deserve better. You know I do. I do agree with that. Um, but uh, it's going to be a long, hard season for them. You know it really is because I mean I don't think they've won at all. And um, looking at looking at the fixtures coming up, they've got Leeds on Friday night. I mean that's going to be a huge game. You know because Leeds haven't particularly got off the best of starts, but I think Leeds have probably looked the better team if you know what I mean and played. They've probably played better sides as well than what Newcastle have. Um, but yeah, it's a bit of a worry. It is a bit of a worry if you're a Newcastle fan. I think.
Uh, yeah, I would, I would, I would agree with that sentiment as well. To be fair, I mean, you you see it there as well. Obviously, we're Sunderland fans, not Newcastle fans. But you know, I'm going to keep biased to one side, and you know, I didn't think that they looked great, and I think Stephen Bruce, Steve Bruce is running out of ideas. Um, I think you know when he comes up against bigger teams, he likes to play five four one. I I think you know that's been figured out. He's been doing that for a long, long time now. He generally does have an okay record for the most part against Man United. He can get a goal there. Um, but like I just I think they're running out of ideas, and I think all in all honesty, if Steve Bruce was to potentially suffer the sack, I think they'd just give the job to the assistant coach, that guy that they brought in. I can't yeah, remember Graham his name. Jones. Graham Jones, I think yeah. he'll get the job. But I remember Alan Shearer as well saying on a match of the day that um the the players that they've got who they don't necessarily want and they want rough load, no one wants them, and you yeah. know if. If they do get rid of them, they're selling them at a massive loss, so they're better off keeping them. And, you know, like, Alan Shearer spoke a lot of sense about their policy there, and I was like, he is 100% right. I mean, you look at, you know, players like Manquillo. Granted, he got a goal, and you know what? He had an okay game, but he, he's been, you know, out in the cold for a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not good enough. He's not good enough, you know. Um, I mean, I remember Mankeel playing for Sunderland. I thought Mankeel at that time wasn't good enough. Um, but yeah, I like to say he did score, but he's not. <laughs> he's not actually there to score goals, is he? He's there to stop them, and they've conceded four. Um, I mean, going, oh, going on, what you've just said there about about Newcastle and about this game plan that Bruce had, you've got to think as well for. 60-odd minutes, it was working. You know, Man U scored a goal in stoppage time in the first half, which was down to a goalkeeping error. Then Newcastle go and score. But then Man U do go up the other end and score again. And then once that second goal went, and that was when Man United kind of got the uh, win in the ascendancy. So his game plan was, to a degree, working. Um, it just, it just, it's not... For me, that's not football, you know, to go and try and... You know, try and you know, it's trying to frustrate your opponents. That's yeah. what it, that's what it's doing. He's trying to frustrate them and then sneak a goal at the end. He did that at Sunderland quite a lot, and um, and I mean, obviously we've had our our dif- we've got different kind of opinions on Steve Bruce, Gary, obviously, but for me, that's not fo- that's not what I would want to see if I was a fan of Newcastle who are used to their managers being a little bit more braver than that. You know, um, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think Rafa. I think Rafa had that kind of same kind of thing about him, but he had better players to his disposal, yeah. so to speak, to, to be able to do that. Whereas Bruce has got, he hasn't been backed, has he, in the transfer window? That's that's you know, we can't, we can't say he has because he hasn't. And I think Newcastle pretty much came out and uh, said that, you know, that they yeah. couldn't afford it or whatever the whatever the policy is. Um, but if I was a Newcastle fan, I don't, I don't want my team to go and defend against Man United for against probably a brittle Man United defense. You know, Man United's defense aren't as good as what they were. Obviously, Varane's come in and has steadied that shit. I but thought he had a really go, good game but, as well, Varane. Yeah, he did. Yeah, I mean, but have a go. You know, what have you got to lose? They lost four one defend defending. So, what have you got to lose? You know, go and have a, go and have a pop at teams. You know, use the the pace of St Maximan and the the pace of Almiron to, to better better judgment really. Um, I mean, what did you make yeah. of Pogba? Because I thought Pogba Pogba's had a really good game, and I thought he had a, he's had a really good season so far. I mean, you know, he he was quite good in the link up play, in my opinion. 
I think he's been very in and out so far, Gary, but when he's been good, he's been very good, yeah. if you know what I mean. He's definitely, I think he's definitely gone, gone, over a new, gone over a new leaf this season. And there's now talk about him wanting to sign a new deal. I mean, there's always, the last two or three years, always been Pogba's going to leave, Pogba's going to leave, and now he wants to sign a new contract. Now, with Ronaldo back, I think you'll probably start seeing the very, very best because that's what Ronaldo will demand from Paul Pogba. Now, I know there's this issue with Ella listening to Ollie, Ella doing this, Ella doing that. But when Ronaldo comes in, Ronaldo kind of has that aurora around him where he demands the best from himself and from everybody else. And that's what Man United have bought in. They haven't just bought Ronaldo the player, but have bought Ronaldo the leader behind, you know, behind the scenes and able to man better from the likes of Paul Pogba, who has been hit and miss for Manchester United. You know, he'll demand better from Harry Maguire, so to speak, who, you know, has kind of been hit and miss. You know, the, the midfielders in the middle. Like I say, I do think they need another midfielder. But I think the you know, Paul Pogba the biggest beneficiary of Ronaldo being back at Man United for a longer period of time because I think his form will dramatically improve. Yeah. I'm going to pose a question to you, Ant. Bruno Fernandes and Cristiano Ronaldo, is Manchester United long-term big enough for the both of them? Yes. Why? Yes. Um, well, because long-term, Ronaldo's not going to be playing long, long-term, is he? So you're looking at three years with Bruno and and, um, and Ronaldo. Now, Bruno and Fernando played together for Portugal, so you've got to say, you know, that I think that they're going to be mates off the pitch, you know, the countrymen... Um, the both scored on on Saturday. You know the big test will be. I, I mean, I said, and I've also said this when Ronaldo signed. The big test will be what happens when they get a penalty, because obviously Bruno, I don't think he's missed many for Man United, if, if any at all. Um, so he's a, he is their penalty taker. You know, do, does take good penalty, but I'm not sure Ronaldo's got that kind of ego to say, well, no, I'm the penalty taker. I'm this. I'm that. So. Uh, plus Ronaldo missed one for Portugal last week, so um, I, I really think it'll be a, a team performance. Plus as well, Ronaldo is now classed as a centre forward, that's where he's going to be playing for Man United. So I don't think he'll take Bruno's position off him anywhere. So I, I think they will. Uh, I think they will last. And I think uh, I think Bruno will be another one who's who, who can only get better at Man U, and he's probably been Man U's best player for two years. See, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest with you, and I disagree. I don't think Bruno and Ronaldo like playing together. Um if you watch the goals back, Bruno doesn't go to celebrate with Ronaldo and vice versa. You know, you watch Portugal and yes, they do play together for Portugal, but it's either one of them's in and one of them's on the bench or vice versa, and it's never gonna be Ronaldo because he's the captain. And I think when it comes to taking penalties, I think that's gonna show. Um I mean, it'll be, it'll be mad. I mean, I, I, that's why they're playing tonight, aren't they? Man United are playing um, young boys tonight. I really want Man United to get penalty. I just want to know who takes it, and I want to see the reactions. You yeah. know, because that'll, I think that'll answer our question. You know, that will answer our question. Like the uh, the first penalty they get, if they're both on the pitch, who takes it? You know, that will answer our question of whether they're whether the town's big enough for the both of them. If you know what I mean by that. Yeah, no, I I agree. I mean, I do I do think there's some kind of you know personal competition there, but you know remains to be seen. See what happens. Um, I think we've the thing about... is as well though, and this is this is like another thing. You don't have to like somebody to be the teammate. You know what yeah. I mean? You looked at um, Sheringham and Cole for Man United back in back in the day. Sheringham and Cole hated each other off the pitch. You know, they never used to celebrate with each other when they scored, but they were one of the most lethal combinations of front man and United. You know, you don't have to like your all your teammates. You just have to put on, on the pitch, if you've got personal differences, put them aside 
and you know you do your best for the team it doesn't for me it doesn't particularly matter if, if you like your team yet or not you no, know I mean, be professional right. as long as they're both professional on the pitch then yeah. there isn't a problem is there you know? Yeah, I mean, you're right. You are right. You know, the, the the professionalism on the pitch. They play for ninety minutes to train together. You're right about it. But you know, obviously, we'll we'll see what happens. I mean, obviously, we'll move on to Southampton West Ham. Bit of a drab game at nil nil. Red card for Mikel Antonio. I know you're quite the fan of Antonio at the moment. But what did you make of the the game? <laughs> ruined a lot of. I think that ruined a lot of coupons and a lot of uh, players' dream teams this see this week. Because I, I know a lot of people put Antonio in. Um, over the two weeks because Antonio's been on fire. Did you put him in? I did not put Ronaldo in. Oh, so um, yeah, that was a difference for me. And I was, uh, you know what? Again, it was what it was. Uh, it was a rash challenge, wasn't it? It was. It was frustration. That's what that was. I mean, I know he'd already been booked as well. Um, but yeah, West Ham were West Ham weren't great. You know, I thought for me, I thought the only team we're gonna win it was Southampton, but. It wasn't. It wasn't the best of games, you know. Boha should have scored for Southampton in the end uh, when he hit the post. Um, I think he got cleared off the line as well, didn't he? he got one cleared off the line. I think Rice cleared him off the line. But Did all right. Yeah, I think on. it was one of them. One of them ones, that, and you do get them after the national weekend where you you, you, you you get all your players back quite late. Um, you know, especially like the South Americans who don't come back till like say Thursday or Friday, and it's it's quite hard once you get the training sessions in to get everybody. Back to what you were for the three, like the three games beforehand. So there is normally games like this, and I think we probably saw a weekend like this because there was like, bar you know, United blowing you know Newcastle in the eventually Chelsea being superb and Palace. There wasn't that much where teams absolutely destroyed somebody. So um, you know, I think that'll be next week where all the goals return. Um, it's just like you know, it's getting back into the state of things. I mean, I'm not, I'm not one for these international, especially so early in the season. I think they should play ten games and then maybe do like a mini, a mini two weeks where you do get these tournament games out of the way instead of like you know mixing it up in the season so early on because you're still getting players, you're getting players back from injury. You've signed, I mean, like, I mean, like, the likes of West Ham or whoever signed somebody on deadline day, haven't haven't trained with the international players who've gone away because they've gone obviously gone away to to play for the countries. I think it's a bit, I think it's a bit weird. Um, but that was probably just one of them games, you know. Um, and and again, two teams. Southampton will be fine, I think. Uh, it hasn't helped. I think West Ham will be a top ten candidate. So uh, yeah, disappointing for Antonio, but he'll he'll be back. Um, yeah, um, he'll only miss one game as well, so it's it's not really too bad for them. Yeah, I mean, I was drab nil nil. I mean, Ralph has a hope pulling out the uh, the chinos and the waistcoat. He looked proper suave, like he, <laughs> he looked well suave. Yeah. Like he just came from a wedding. Um, but no nil nil game. I mean, you know, given how the game played out, probably the fair result for both teams. I mean, another game which, in my honest opinion, could have potentially finished nil nil. Leicester Man City. Obviously, Bernardo Silva popped up with a goal 62nd minute, um, which, you know, we, we haven't really heard much of Bernardo. Um, the reason no. I think it could have finished 0-0 is because I feel like Man City didn't spurn a lot of chances, but I think Casper Smeichel kept Leicester in the game. Leicester kind of went on the defensive back foot. But, you know, could have finished 0-0, but granted, Man City got that 1-0 win. I mean, what did you make of that game? Yeah, he made he made a very, very good save at the start of the game. From, I think it was from Jesus. No, that was a... An excellent save. I mean, like, I mean, I, I, I believe I think Schmeichel's best keeper in the world at the minute. I think he's been so good for Leicester. I mean, Leicester have had a little bit of a bumpy start, haven't they? Um, you know, they're waiting for these defenders to get back from injury. But if for me, what 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 made Leicester so good towards the end of last season was the was the Vardy, um, 
Vardy and uh, what's his freaking name? The other centre, the other forward. Uh, Iniacho. <laughs> That's him. Iniacho, yeah. That that combination worked really well. Now, for some reason, Iniacho is not playing now. He's coming off the bench, and I would probably play them both and sacrifice one of Madison or Tielemans or Barnes, to be honest. Um, but I think it's it's just been one of them things where Brendan Rodgers has wanted to kind of go back to revert to type this season. I think that's what he's probably wanted to do, which, to be honest, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but, yeah, the goal the goal was unlucky because Sionjo's done... Sionjo's just tried to clear the ball from, from a shot and it's gone straight to Bernardo Silva. Um, Bernardo Silva, obviously, his confidence would be high because he scored an absolute screamer for uh, Portugal um, in the national break. So it's good to see him back because he was meant to be the long-term David Silva replacement, wasn't he? But the thing is for City, I mean, you've got to remember City, yeah, they haven't been... Um, great so far, but they're still fifth. They've won the last three games, and they've still got KD being important to come back. So you know, City is still going to be, you know, they've still got you know those kind of um, weapons in their arsenal. You know, I still think they need to send a natural centre forward as much as Ferran Torres has done very very well for them uh, so far. But I still think they need a natural forward um, in in there if they want to play. It looks as if they want to play Jesus as more of a wider wider kind of player. Then they do need someone in that centre forward just to score the like you know the the dirty goals really you know like the tap ins or the one the deflections or something like that you know it's all when a good scoring goes from twenty five yards out or whatever like that but you do need you 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 know your natural ability you know your natural goal scorer like what United have bought in Ronaldo you need that in your team and I think uh, if I was uh, if I was pair I'd be going for a, a natural striker whether it's Kane whether it's Haaland. Um, you know whether they're holding out for Haaland, which I think they are, but um, I think they definitely need someone in January who's just going to bang them a few goals. Um, but so far, I think they've been all right. You know, I think obviously Greenish is still settling in. Um, I think, I think I say, I think Ferran's been excellent for them. So uh, and they're keeping they're keeping clean sheets, uh, which is important as well. You know, Edison at the back, Cancelo who's excellent. Um, yeah, I think I think they'll be fine. I still think they'll win the league. Um, I know Chelsea and Bad United have probably got closer than what I thought um, with, with them signing Lukaku and Ronaldo respectively, but I still think City will win the title. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, De Bruyne and Foden were both on the bench for that game. Granted, it didn't yeah. come on. You only brought on Sterling and Fernandinho. I was surprised, like you said, that Jesus was out wide rather than the centre. But Ferran has played well as a false nine, in all honesty. And, you know, I think for the majority of this season, we will see Ferran starting as a false nine. Like you said there, I think the problems are holding out for Haaland. In my honest opinion, Haaland is going to be the player that they need because he is a physical goal scorer and he is going to be one of the best physical goal scorers in the world. But he probably is already, to be fair, but, like, going forward... I think long-term... That's where, for like this season, I think that's where they're going to be looking to put the Bruyne. To be honest, it's is that false nine and and play, you know, the likes, um, likes of Bernardo, um, Ford and Grealish, kind of alongside him or behind him. Um, but I, I can see De Bruyne doing that for City. I think he did it a couple of times last year and he did it very well. Or they can put Sterling in there. So I know he, I know he, he he's kind of like you know he's kind of changing his options all the time you know Pep, Pep being the tinker man that he is and always finding a way to be brilliant but uh, for me again especially if you want to win the European Championship which they want to win uh, the Champions League 
for me, I do think you need a natural goal scorer, you know, a, a proper number nine up there. But we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I'm not going to second guess Pep Guardiola. He's probably the best manager we've, we've ever had, you know, in our lifetime. So, um, I yeah, mean, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I quite like the false nine style. I do actually really like it. Um, it is different. We don't really see it as, as a whole in the Premier League over the last couple of years until very recently over the last season. Um, but you mentioned there, you know, you you think City's still going to be the title contenders, and don't get me wrong, I'm not disagreeing with that. Um, I do think they will be up there. But a team who I was very impressed by was Chelsea, three 0 over uh, over Villa. I thought Kovacic had a brilliant game. Lukaku absolutely brilliant. Um, physically, I just thought you know Lukaku looks a completely different player than he was when he was in the Premier League with Chelsea. Um, I mean, what did you make of the game? Because I know you said Lukaku was your sign of the summer. I tell you who I tell you what was more what what kind of impresses more about that game was Chelsea won three 0 and weren't very good. Like Villa should have in the first half Villa should have been ahead. You know, Lukaku scored for Chelsea early on, but then Mendy's kept Chelsea in it with some superb saves. You know, for me, Mendy was man of the match and they've won three nil. Um so when once they click, you know, because it's obviously still getting you know, the second in the table, they've, they've, they've won three of the four games. They're just beginning to they're kind of, like, you know, getting their best team together. You know what I mean by that? And um, once they start clicking, I mean, they've got to keep Lukaku fit. Um, but once they start getting, you know, once Thomas Tuchel knows his best formation, his best players in them formations and stuff, they are going to be very, very difficult to, to peg back, I think. You know, um, I, I, I was impressed by them, but... Villa, for me, probably should have been in that game 2-1 up at half-time. You know, they probably should have put a couple of them chances away. But that's probably been, again, we talk about, you know, the the, the Chelsea signings. Mendy's probably been their best signing for the last two years, Balakago, because they've finally got someone who's in the top three or four in, in Europe. And so he's, he's one of the best keepers in the Premier League. You know, whereas Chelsea struggled was obviously with Kepa, you know, who I don't think Kepa was, was that good, to be honest. Um, you know, always had a mistake in him, but they finally, they finally sorted that bit out, which, you know, everyone's, you know, you go about Arsenal who always need to sort the defence out, never do it. Chelsea have, have seen a problem, pardon me, they've seen a problem, they've, they've known that Kepa's not, not good enough, and signed Mendy, who I think's at the minute probably the best keeper in the Premier League. I think he, I wouldn't disagree with that comment whatsoever. I think Mendy has been a fantastic signing. You know, you've got to give credit to Frank Lampard for that because yeah, you know, he yeah. wasn't a big fan of Kepa, you know, fair enough. Uh, he brought in Mendy. I don't think he really got enough time with the signings he brought in, especially in that window. But like one of the things which I've noticed with Chelsea is, you know, that game you had Kovacic and Saul Niguez in, in the middle. But then yeah. Kante and Jorginho are going to come back. That's going to be an absolute battle in centre mid alone. Like, I mean, obviously, I feel like Jorginho and um, Kante will be the the obvious choice. But you know, Sal and Kovacic, they had a good game. They put in a good shift. Yeah, yeah, and obviously Kovacic scored. I mean, obviously it was a terrible mistake, but you know, he still got to put the ball in there. And um, I think Sal set up um, the counter, didn't he? Or, or played the ball through anyway. For you know, he had a big part to play in the goal. So good uh, for him. Played the ball through for the first one. Yeah, um, yeah. So you know, both, yeah, both of them had got good games. For me, can't be a starts whenever he's fit. You know, I think he's one of the best players in the world to be honest. So I think he starts when he's fit. But um, yeah, it is. It's a good selection headache to have, though, isn't it? You know, it's a 
it's a great section Eric to have have players like that you know you know to put on the to put on the bench really and um, yeah they they are going to be I think they will be the the um, the big challenge to see as much as I think United as well with Ronaldo will be challenges you know Chelsea will be I think it'll be a very very close title race and you know we haven't even spoken Liverpool yet who've started off really yeah. really well so um, yeah it's uh, it's going to I think it'll be a very very interesting title I don't think anyone will run away with it. Um, I think it'll go down to the you know, last couple of games of the season. And that's what we want. We want the last day of the season where we're going around the ground to see what's going on. And it's changing every every minute. Mm-hmm. Right? And, you know, how nice would it be to have three or four teams going for it at the end of the season? You know, the, um, you know, every game will be exciting. Not not all the, the season's finished by January or whatever. So, you know, it's also runs, you know, that that's let's enjoy the let's enjoy what we're gonna have, I think. So I think it's gonna be a really, really close, closely fought season. I, I totally agree. And there's one thing I do just want to mention in regards to Villa. Obviously, we, we did a podcast last week in regards to, you know, grassroots and, you know, come through the youth setup. If you look at Aston Villa's team, there was only one player in that team who was from a foreign nationality, Douglas Luis, who's Brazilian. All the rest of the team is British. And I think that's such a great thing to see for the English game. And, like, I really like Dean Smith. I think he's a really good coach. I mean, like, he's given Jake Ramsey a chance, who, granted, probably wouldn't have got a chance if Jack Grealish didn't move on to City. Um, and you know what? McGinn and Ramsey were quite solid in the centre for the most part of that game, which was a really good thing to see, to be honest. Oh, yeah, like I say, the first half especially, they were the better side. You know, and it was only Mendy being, you know, unstoppable. You know, no one was going to beat him on Saturday, you know. And, and keepers, you tend to have that with keepers, especially the good goalkeepers, you know. They, they, they tend to have these great games, that's why the great goalkeepers, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I mean, I think Villa, yeah, they might have to, you know, settle for the bottom half or something, whatever this season. But if Villa can just beat the teams that are around them, they'll be fine. And I think that if they play like that against, you know, like a Norwich, um, no disrespect to Norwich, but if they play like that, then they'll be absolutely fine. You know, they'll, they'll, win, they'll win a few games. So, And I, I'm with you. I really like Dean Smith as well. I think he's a good manager. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, we'll obviously move on to another... Uh, title contender in Liverpool, three uh, 0 win. First, you just want to obviously mention the you know the injury with Harvey Elliott. Hopefully, he makes a very speedy recovery. It was very nasty. Um, I don't think. I mean, we had this discussion. I don't think it was a red card. I think no, the referee not. was it's forced not. into a red card given the severity of the situation. But ultimately, it's the way that Harvey's landed, isn't it? Really, that has has made it look very very bad and you know the situation where Salah's waved people on the pitch and you know what kudos to the Liverpool medical team and I'm sure Leeds medical team got involved as well where they just ran straight on the pitch no stoppage fantastic to see hopefully he makes a very speedy recovery because you know what he's been okay for Liverpool this season he's he's actually been very good Um, you know I like Harvey I watched him a few times with Blackburn last year and you know you can tell there's a player there you know and yeah it's it's a it's a nasty one. It's it's not very nice. It's not what well, you you want to see. But I think the good thing is about that. I think mean, I think he's going into surgery today. You know, to kind of like get everything sorted out. But the thing is, with dislocations, um, yeah, it takes a while to come back. But you've you've got to get that um the joint back in quite quickly. Otherwise, the more you do it, the gap gets bigger between the joint and the bone. Um, so fingers crossed, it's nothing like that's going to keep him off for for a long, long time. You know, I I agree with what you said there. Fair credit to the Liverpool medical team; they knew something that was very seriously wrong. So the rants, I think the rants straight on before the referee blew. Um, I agree again. I don't want to get into it about the red card because it's not a red card, and I don't understand why 
as much as it is a horrible injury, I don't understand why a player, if a player's got a bad injury like that, why it's automatically a red card. You know, the same thing happened a couple of years ago for Andre Gomez for Everton against Spurs, and Son got sent off, and the, and the, the referee originally showed Son a yellow card and then changed his mind because he's seen Andre Gomez's ankle hanging out the other way. Yeah, it was a horrible, horrible injury, but it wasn't a red card tackle, you know, and I'm all for the I'm all for this. If it's a bad tackle and the players got injured, fair enough. But you saw last night, um, I think it was Tarkowski for Burnley took out Ricarlison and never it wasn't even a, a yellow card. And that was a much worse tackle than what than what was put on Harvey Elliott. And you know, like I say, what you know, the one thing to come from it is we hope, you know, that it's not too bad. His operation goes well today, and he's back playing sooner rather than later, you know, because that's what really you want to talk about. But yeah, it's 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 the red card was very very harsh. You know, I, I personally didn't even think it was a foul. You know, it was just a it was just a good two players going in for a tackle, a good honest tackle really that unfortunately the players got got on the worst end of it because the wheeze landed and that happens that's football it's horrible but we've seen these things we've seen these things happen and it's sometimes the most innocuous challenges can be the worst ones and um, for injury wise you know you've seen like a few where uh, you, you go back to Henrik Larson for for, for, Chelsea, for Celtic so he got a horrible leg break by running you know it's just the wee run I think Cissé uh, for Liverpool, did it twice by you know running too fast and his leg got stuck in the ground. So it happens. It's football. It, these things are going to happen. We don't want it. We don't like to see them. We don't particularly want to talk about them. But you know these things do happen. And yeah, I, I thought it was a very. I thought it was just a strange decision to send him off when um, he wasn't even going to blow up for a foul because he didn't blow for the physios to come on. You know, Mo Salah got the physios on and the, the physios came on because of the new straight because you could tell you could tell when, when he when he goes to go back up, and this is why I think a lot of people thought he broke his leg originally, but he holds his, his leg very straight and you can see him actually attempting to put a joint back in. So you immediately there I, I thought, oh he's dislocated it. Um but yeah, like I say, I hope he's okay. I hope his surgery goes well. Uh, he's another one, like I say, he's he's done really, really well for Liverpool so far. And they might miss him. I think I think they probably will miss him. But um, on the game itself, um, I think Salah became the quickest player ever to hit 100 league goals um, in the Premier League. So I think it's the 29th player doing the quickest. So um, that just goes to how great Mo Salah's been. Um, nice to see Mane score as well because I think he, he had a lot of chances that game but nice to see him scoring uh, Fabinho as well I thought he was excellent yeah, um, Fabinho's, Liverpool... yeah, Fabinho's proved to be quite a key player for Liverpool over the last season and a bit like oh yeah definitely definitely and I think again uh, we're talking about title contenders you can't rule Liverpool out of it because they've got Van Dijk back um, my problem is with, with Liverpool what do they do when the bigger players get injured, like say if Salah picks up a, a hamstring and he's out for a month, who do they bring in? You know, because I'm not sure whether, you know, um, I'm not, I know Jota, Jota will score a few goals for them, but I'm not sure he's that kind of player to, you know, set them up and score goals. And they've got rid of uh, Shakiri, haven't they? So he's, he's probably another one in the Salah mode, although not as good as Salah. Pardon me, not as good as Salah. So my worry will be if they will pick up two or three injuries and have they got enough depth in that squad. Uh, to mount a serious title challenge, but I think they'll be there or thereabouts. Yeah, I mean Curtis Jones, I think hasn't had a look in as of yet, and he was quite prominent in Klopp's plan. He was, yeah. Uh, Henderson obviously, you know, he's just coming back, isn't he? Yeah, I mean Leeds. I mean, I'd be kind of worried if I was a Leeds fan. I don't think they look very good at all. Um, they they've probably been found out, you know, and I think 
But the, the problem is Bielsa's never going to change. You know, he never has, he never will. Um, so he's never going to change the way he plays football. And I like that. And I think I think long-term this season, this should be all right. I don't think it'll go down, but they, they're going to have to kind of have a plan B. They need to adapt. You know, they can't go trying to think, well, out football teams at Liverpool because it's not going to happen. Um, you know, I worked once or twice last season, but teams like Liverpool and like Chelsea, like Man United, Man City, Tottenham and all, find another way. And uh, that's all that's happened, I think, with Leeds. I don't, like I said, I don't think they'll go down, but they need to look at another plan, I think. And I think signing Dan James might give them that extra little bit to, to you know, steer away from the relegation zone, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, Bamford had that chance as well, which um, was a brilliant save from Alisson. You know, he, he had to do a lot of tracking back and it yeah. was so unlucky, to be fair. Um, very, very impressed with Bamford so far. I think he's been quite a good player. Um, Rafinha, I think he's good on the wing, Rafinha. Obviously, they're going to bring in Dan James. You know, I think it's going to be rotation between him and Jack Harrison. Um, and obviously, you can't discount Calvin Phillips. I mean, he, a lot of us... A lot of our friends, we weren't massive fans of Calvin Phillips until, you know, the Euros, and I think he's proved a lot of us wrong. You know, he, he is a brilliant centre midfielder, to be quite honest, but I don't see him being there in January. I think. No, I don't from. think he will be. I, I think he'd be ideal for Man United. No, I keep on talking about Man United need another centre midfielder. I would be ideal for Man United. I think if you want to go down the British mould, definitely, but if uh, another midfielder I would be looking at for Man United, obviously... Just going to quickly mention this is uh, Manuel Locatelli. Um, I thought he had a really good Euros when he played and I think him and Pogba could have some link-up play. But, you know, that that's another conversation for another day. Yeah, it um, is. Yeah, definitely. All definitely. in all, like, I think Liverpool, you know, ran out deserved winners, played very well. They are a title contender, you're 100% right. Um, we'll move on to Liverpool's rivals who got a 3-1 win over Burnley on Monday night. Um, three goals in six minutes. I was quite impressed with Everton, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, you know this, you know this horrible Rafa Benitez. You know what I mean? Uh, how, how many times have we said this as well? I mean, I don't see, I don't see it being an issue at all with what what he's got. I think he's starting to win them over. Um, what I like what he's done is he's made like obviously Andros Townsend got a beautiful goal yesterday. He's kind of signed these players that he, he knows like cause obviously he would have had Andros Townsend at Newcastle. He's obviously got Rondon at Newcastle. He's signing players he knows can do a job. You know, Damari Gray's been a revelation for them. Um and they are looking and they've lost Calvert Lewin for a few weeks, but they didn't look as if they missed him last night. So um they are looking as if they're gonna try and get into that top six, top eight, you know, um fourth in the league at the minute, haven't lost, you know, uh ah, they, they went behind like yesterday, so um, good, good, um, good recovery, you know, good, um, and and they came out worthy winners. And like I said, nice to see, you know, these players because we know that Andrus Townsend's a good player when he's on his day. We know Damari Gray's on his on his day is a good player. It's good to see them doing it for a good side like Evan. Yeah, yeah, totally agree with that. I mean, Andros Townsend has had his fair share of battles, not just mentally, um, but you know, physically as well of injury. Um and it was a brilliant goal and I really like what he said about his man making a compilation tape of, you know, his, his best moments which really like spurred him on obviously put in that performance. But you know, he spoke very highly of Rafa as well, said he didn't want him to focus on his defensive qualities. He wanted to focus on the attacking aspect of his game. And you know what? Like That, that front three at the moment of Townsend, Ricarlison and Damari De- 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 Gray, it's, it's looking good, to be quite honest. It is. It is, yeah. It is. And, and these, these are players who haven't cost a fortune. 
these are players who've, who've come from who are good solid British additions you know um, and like I say he's not spent he's not spent millions in in a European player taking the chance of a European player and, and he's got a good nucleus of a British British squad there obviously they've got Pickford in goal you know England's national goalkeeper one of the best goalkeepers in the division you know they've got um, obviously Keane I mean I'm not overly keen on I'm not really keen on Keane but um, uh, I, he scored yesterday you know they've got Calvert-Lewin up front you know like I say Townsend uh, yeah they've got, they've got a good side and it looks strong so I think like I say I think they'll be they'll be easy top 10 contenders and they'll probably be one of them teams who spoil the Premier League for somebody else if you know what I mean by that like they'll put They'll make the top four that come to them, you know, Man United, Chelsea, level. they'll make that a hard game um, for them at, at Goodison. So, yeah, I mean, I'll, I mean, I think so far Benitez has shown why why they've uh, why they've chosen him as manager and, and has took over from Ancelotti and, and done very, very well so far. He has, um, and obviously you speak about Ancelotti there. One one player Ancelotti's a massive fan of, fan of is uh, James Rodriguez, who is 100% out in the cold at Everton. I mean, do you think his career's finished there? Uh, probably yeah, yeah. I think he's I think got, got a part on play. loan or something in January, and then like on loan with View or something like that. It just hasn't particularly happened, has it, for him? Um, you know whether it's whether it's just a, a different kind of environment. You know you don't get as much time on the ball as as you do in Spain, in in England. You know you get hit a lot. Um, he might not be. He might not like the physical side or something like that. It's been a shame because I thought the first when they signed him the first month. He looked, he looked like the James Rodriguez of old, didn't he? But he's just kind of faded away, hasn't he? So I, I don't think he'll say much football this year. And I think um, Rafa kind of trusts players, you know, ahead of him. To be honest, you just think he's got no no part in his plans. I don't think so. No, I think, like I said, I can I can see this being a, a January transfer, a loan transfer to somewhere in probably Italy or Spain with view for a permanent and leave for about maybe ten million euros or something like that. Ah, fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, um, I think that's the roundup of uh, the all the Premier League games. I know we've rambled on a little bit there, but what we'll move on to is uh, you know, the final aspect of our uh, podcast. Baller and ball eight, mate. Hit me with your baller of the week. Yeah, for for the second week in a row, Ever Raducanu for pretty much everything that we discussed early on. First British winner of US Open for uh, forty four years, female side of things. First British winner of any Grand Slam since Virginia Wade, youngest. Since I think the youngest finalist in Subaru, you know, the only player not not lose a set in the whole tournament. Uh, men or women, the the fewest games lost, men or women, by any player in the tournament. This comes from an eighteen year old qualifier who's never played there before. So Emirata Kanu by far and away, special mention obviously, Medvedev, uh, Ronaldo, you know, there's been so many um who could have won, you know, ball of the obviously um yeah, Team Sarah's story for the Paralympics, you know, last last Monday I think she brought that record, so obviously she would have been high on the list, but yeah, you can't you can't not give it to Radicano, I don't think. I don't think she's there's anyone who's gonna beat her this week. I feel bad for giving her for two weeks in a row, but she did so well last week and done so much more better this week, so you kinda of give it to anybody else. No, no, I would totally, totally agree with that. I mean, obviously my ball if follow follows suit with you, I'd go with Emma and I would go with Daniel as well. Um, you know, I think Future of tennis. I mean, you've got to mention Leo Fernandez as well. I I thought you know, so many ballers in the tennis tennis side of things this week. I mean, what who was your ball ache? I know we had this discussion before going on the air, and uh, you were telling do me. Do you want to do your ball ache first? Now I'll do mine. Why not, mate? Why not? I mean, uh, my ball. I know ache. who yours is. That's all, and you you I've told you who mine is, <laughs> and I, I think 
I think mine might make a laugh at all. <laughs> ah, fair enough, fair enough. I mean, uh, it wasn't anything to do with Dutch subtitles, about was it? No, 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 <laughs> no, I mean, uh, obviously, yeah, mine is uh, Jaffe Tanganga. I, I mean, he must have been watching the WWE over the weekend or something <laughs> um, because he was practicing his wrestling moves on Wilfred Zaha. Um, and you know what, That to be fair as well, when I saw it, it was a bit of a blow to your dream team because you lost five points for his red card. I, uh, I, yeah, but then, like, a certain Ronaldo who hardly anybody else has got in their, their side has, has made up for it, so I'm all right, like. Now, you're all right because no one else can afford Ronaldo as far as I can see because uh-huh. I can't afford him. But I, uh, Javi Tanga- Tanganga, I just thought, you know, rush a blood to the yeah. head. But that's not going to affect his career going forward. I do think he's going to be a good player. Um, But yeah, my ball eight of the week. Sorry, Jaffy, uh, it's definitely yourself. I mean, my ball ache of the week was going to be Piers Morgan, <laughs> but I don't want to mention him on this podcast anymore. So I'm not. My ball ache of the week is actually going to be Gavin Williamson, who is the educational secretary to our wonderful government, who. <laughs> who tweeted last Sunday that he had a wonderful time at the zoo and spoke to Marcus Rashford. It turns out he was actually speaking to the rugby player Mario Atoje. Now, Mario Atoje is from London. Marcus Rashford's Mancunian. Now, how the friggin' hell did you think that Marcus Rashford was a cockney? Nah, like, I, I, I saw mean, that and I was like, Jesus. Mad. I mean, it's mental. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 the way he tweeted it and then Rashford put in the notes, like, surely you realise the accent was different or something like that. And Rashford just absolutely owned him. Um, so for me, I mean, that, I mean, I love seeing people make fools of themselves on Twitter, but it's even better when it's Gavin Williamson of our government. You know, the, the same week where the government have announced a huge tax rise for all of us workers and all the all the workers who got the country through COVID, it's great to see one of them being an absolute tit. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll call him our ball egg of the week, I think. Very well-deserved ball egg of the week, Kevin. Well, the, the funny thing is, is about that as well as Rashford actually called him out. You know what, Rashford put out a very noble tweet about that. It said, it doesn't matter who I am, it doesn't matter who uh, anyone else is. Like, And, you know, he, he focused on a lot of, like, key moments throughout the pandemic yeah. and stuff and gavin williamson is just just a divvy to be quite honest i mean no offense gavin but like you know you, you don't have a clue what you're doing to be fair no offense gavin but you've had an absolute mayor oh 100 you know what he's had many mayors you know like uh, in regards to you know the a-level results the algorithm and yeah. stuff like i mean exactly. you know you, you know, you've picked a good you know what there. it is like at the end of this season if we end up doing colic of the season you've got to go a long way to beat that. I mean, I thought, like I say, I mean, I thought last week the guy who had to go on to call the Brazil-Argentina game off was a bit of a ball hit, but fair enough, he must have had balls of steel, you know what I mean, to do that, so he doesn't really kind of count. Um, for, for, but I think, like, long-term, if we end up doing ball, ball league of the season, then um, Gavin Williamson, at the minute, mate, you, your odds-on favourite to win that. It's going to take something to, something really big to beat you there, I think. Yeah, it would <laughs> definitely be a toss-up between Williamson and Hancock, like, wouldn't it? But, you know, oh, Hancock probably's I'm, just I'm, had I'm 80 balls. Hancock hasn't done sport-wise, has he? <laughs> so, where's Williamson has? So, I think he's got it, like, I think he's, uh, it'll take some beating, that. But didn't, uh, didn't, didn't Hancock call him Daniel yeah. Rashford? Pardon? Hancock called Marcus Rashford Daniel Rashford, didn't he? Ah, uh, yeah, but... Yeah, I mean, but you can kind of mistake someone's first name, I think, you know, it, it's quite, it's not as regular, I mean, it's still stupid, but, <laughs> like, how on earth do you think you talking to a Cockney is the same as talking to a Mancunian, I mean, you, you know, surely you know who Marcus Rashford is, in fact, sorry, surely you know who Mario Toji is, because, like, 
you know, he's a big, big player in, in England. You know, he's one of the, one of like the regulars for England and things like that. So he is a big kind of, you know, he's well known in sport. Um, but I uh, mean, just you know, don't tweet about it, mate. <laughs> no, I think that's a good one to end on, mate. I mean, obviously, you know, this has been a a week of great sport. To be fair, Ronaldo's back in the Premier League. Emma Raducanu, first US Open winner through qualifying. Uh, Daniil Medvedev, twenty five years old, beating Novak, probably going to cement his legacy going forward. Now he's got a lot of years in the tank. Leo Fernandez as well, nineteen years old, absolutely class. Great to see. I mean, is there anything else you want to add, on? Um, just obviously next week, um, we are starting our new. Obviously, we've got our grassroots side project kind of thing which was which was mint last week but we've also got a new one called um this is a fan's world which we're kicking off next week with um lucy ford from her game two which will be absolutely mint so if you're a fan of you know the her game two movement if you're a fan of bristol rovers because she's a massive bristol rovers fan get in because she she's talks very very well um, so that's going to be a great guest that we're going to have on next week. So make sure that you listen to that one. Um, if you still are listening to me and Gary, who have been recording now for the best part of two hours, so um, sorry to have kept you so long. It has been a long one this week, mate. So we'll uh, no, it's definitely we'll leave been a lot to cover. <laughs> yeah, it's been a lot to cover. But as always, mate, thank you for joining us. Yeah, no problem at all. Thank you very much. Thanks everybody for listening.